Welcome to AFMA 360. I'm your host, Chris DeChant. Today, we're continuing staff interviews, and with me, I have Deputy Chief Eric Kriever. How are you doing today, Eric? Good, Chief DeChant. How are you doing today? Good, man. So we talked a little bit earlier. You've been watching some of these podcast interviews. Format's going to be exactly the same. Nothing shocking. So I know you're going to have a really good, like, unique or interesting fact about yourself, but we'll talk about that in a couple of minutes. Yeah, sounds good. I kind of opened myself up a little bit, so... Okay. Um, look That's forward good. to discussing that if you'd like to in any further details. Yeah, sounds That's good, great. man. So let's start out. Uh, what was your childhood like and where did you grow up? I had a great childhood, mostly been in Arizona most of my life, but I was born in Glendale, California. So I grew up in Southern Cal for a little while. Parents moved to Arizona when I was five years old. Uh, kind of came here as a young kid, didn't know that much about it, being a Southern Cal kid. Parents at that point had split up, so moved back to California with mom. Mom and sister moved back there. In about sixth grade, I started feeling like I want to spend time with my dad. So I was able to come out and move in with him and I came out, lived in central Phoenix, went to Desert Foothills Elementary School in sixth grade. And uh, from there, we moved to Scottsdale area. And that was great. Junior high, went to uh, Mojave Elementary. Then I actually got to spend some time in Colorado, which is amazing. Really loved it. Moved to Colorado for three years, eighth, ninth, and 10th grade. Got to ski, got to play pond hockey. Uh, all the kind of the winter sports stuff that a Southern Cal, Arizona kid would love to do, was able to do that. And then my parents came back, moved back here. So my junior year, I actually moved back to with kids that I would have went to high school with anyway from Mojave. So oh, wow, having cool. a, yeah, yeah, that was kind of a cool mix. So having to um, leave a school, come back between my sophomore and junior year, at least I went back to a school that I had gone to junior high with some kids previous. So that was pretty good. And uh, then graduated from Saguaro High School, went to Saguaro, and uh, went to Yavapai College, my first year of college. Really enjoyed that, going to Prescott, and that was kind of the rest of history. Got in the fire service at 20 years old soon after. Wow. So growing up, did you play uh, sports, do academic stuff? Like, what did you do while you were in school? Not too much on the academic stuff, as much <laughs> as I wish I would have. Um, <laughs> so, you know, in school, if I always had a little bit of a difficult time in school if I didn't have interest in the subject matter. So huge in the sports. I did play Pop Warner football and early high school football. Uh, pond hockey was always on the basketball court every summer playing playing pickup basketball. Wasn't a sport that I ever really didn't like, but kind of gravitated. Played some baseball early as a young kid. Um, but, yeah, just all things sports, outdoors, just really things that interest me. Cool. So a lot of a lot of team sports. It's probably one similarity. I'm guessing you saw with the fire service, right? Absolutely. As a matter of fact, in our leadership training last week, I just feel like the fire service is the ultimate in team sports, and I think I gravitated toward to it naturally as a career. Okay. Very cool. So you went to Yavapai Community College. Did you, were you doing fire science then, or were you doing like a different different major? I was interesting. I was one of these young people that knew it at an early age that I wanted to be a firefighter. Uh, soon after my parents split up, my mom dated for a very long time L.A. County firefighter. So spent some time in L.A. County, grew up on watching Emergency 51, and um, just kind of knew that was what I wanted to do as a young person, literally at five years old. Even in some of my placement stuff in junior high, you know how we take those placement exams? Um, everything kind of geared me towards more of a mechanical field, uh, things relating in the fire service is one of the recommended career choices for me. Very cool. So you talked about emergency 51, uh, Matt, uh, I know Abraham isn't with us today. Uh, he is definitely younger, but Matt, other than like Nick at night with your folks, did you ever watch, uh, emergency 51, Johnny, Johnny and Roy? Yeah. Uh, the only times I've seen it was like in medic school, they pulled it up as a, Hey, this is what got us all started kind of thing. <laughs> 
So were you like, man, those guys, that was a really long time ago. How did you even watch that on TV, right? That's where I learned my paramedic skills, most of them. So getting a hold of Rampart and asking yeah. for orders, right? Yeah, I was, I was honestly just surprised it was in color and not black and white. So. Oh, wow. Okay, we're going to, yeah. So, so Eric, you and I are old guys compared yeah, to Matt. We'll, just, we'll, we'll leave that right there and we're just going to move on. <laughs> but it was great. It definitely left an impression. So kind of definitely pushed me uh into the fire service. Okay, cool. So um, what was your path then? So you're in your community college now, know that you want to be a firefighter. Where did you go from there? Yeah, fortunately, I didn't catch the counselor that tried to push me towards uh, fire science classes early on. And I said, um, I think I just want to take core classes. So uh, that was kind of my first initiation of not learning properly. You know, listening is an important skill. But uh, soon thereafter, I got some good core classes done, really enjoyed Yavapai College, moved back immediately um, was in my EMT class. My parents, of all things, moved from North Scottsdale to Fountain Hill. So as a young kid moving farther out from living on like that Shea and 102nd Street area, went even farther out, wasn't really thrilled about it, but literally just knocked on the fire station door. And there wasn't a lot of 19-year-old kids living in Fountain Hills at the time, 1920. And uh, they said, hey, come back this weekend. We're going to do a physical test, hired on the reserve program. And next thing I know is reserve. That was in May of 88. And by that, uh, June, July, I was in the full-time academy. Wow. And yeah, so uh, Coronado High School then, at the time, Rural Metro was a, the second largest fire department. You didn't really, I didn't even know what Rural Metro was, to be honest with you. I just went to school in Scottsdale and saw they the were, trucks they driving local, down the yeah. street. Yeah, yeah, they were a local fire department, right? Yeah. yeah, like a lot of local kids, you go with your local community and you, you establish yourself there. So I worked out and it was like five, 600 kids testing at Coronado High School and I tested Called me up, got the chance, and uh, next thing I know, I was in the academy. Uh, our whole academy went, went to the Yellowstone fires, which I thought was kind of unique. It was oh, a wow. 10-week fire academy we had, and they took our whole academy there, so that was something unique about that. Came back, finished up. Uh, in October, we were, at that point, shift qualified, and they started placing us for full-time spots in Scottsdale, and I was one of the first three hired out of the academy, so that was pretty cool. Uh, my other academy brothers are still there. The three I got hired with Bobby Rucker with Scottsdale, who's a deputy there, and uh, Steve Hunter, who's a captain and does some of their CRMD stuff in Scottsdale now. So it, it was great. Um, carried that through and um, really just had that desire to uh, continue to grow. And I've always been kind of an achiever type. So I continued getting my education, went to paramedic school and served all, all the roles as engineer, captain, uh, moved up eventually. I was the assistant chief of Fountain Hills through time and kind of moved around a little bit for promotional opportunities. Nice. So um, you basically promoted up, carried every rank, you know, within Rural Metro at the time, became an AC. And then where did you where did you go from there? Because I know you were there for a couple of years, right, as an yeah. AC. So I, I, I left Fountain Hills. I kind of had that desire to want to get to a life away from Rural Metro and out of that. I didn't really know early on. But I felt like, you know, why they did good service, I knew I wanted something different for me personally. So I had the opportunity to go to Mare Fire District as a battalion chief in 2002. And my wife's from Alaska, so, you know, being in the valley, it was really hot. So she said, let's let's move somewhere cooler. said, I knew Yavapai County, so we took this chance, and Mare hired me as a BC in 2002. During that time, Fountain Hills had posted their chief position, and they, I'd gotten a call from a few folks. So I said, let's go back and look, going back to Fountain Hills. And my mentor was there, uh, Chief Scott LaGreca, who was a retired battalion chief out of Chicago Fire Department. Uh, 
big into the education piece, the first EFO I ever knew, the first CFO I ever knew. And he really pushed me before I left uh, Fountain Hills to go better myself and start looking at those advanced degrees and getting my, my schoolwork done. So through him, I was able to achieve my bachelor degree, you know, through his promptings and, and went back and I, I got a call from him and said, hey, I'm, I just got picked up as the chief. Would you like to be my assistant? And I said, absolutely. I'd be honored to. So I left Mayor and went back to Fountain Hills as the assistant chief. Uh, really enjoyed it. But again, I wasn't seeing a window for them to break away from rural at the time. And I had already started a pension program. And uh, while the guys in Fountain Hills do an amazing job, I felt like it was best for me. So I was approached by someone from Prescott that I met to consider putting in for a job there. As the fire marshal, the fire marshal is about to retire. Again, we talked to Erica, uh, spent two years back in Fountain Hills, went and took that opportunity. I went and spent 10 great years in Prescott with the Prescott Fire Department. Yeah, so obviously uh, the decision, you know, not to stay with Rural, not that there's anything wrong. Like you said, they, yeah. they hire good people like anybody else. Um, I think personally, and, and you know even more folks than I do, um, unfortunately, long term, you know, you don't think about that right out of college, yeah. you know, getting on the fire ser- or getting in the fire service. But longer term for retirement, moving to municipal system, you know, or PSPRS is far better for you, right? Than than sticking with rural metro where you have a you have a four hundred one k, but really, yeah. and then stock options, but really, that was it. Really, for me, it was the best plan, and it uh, it just felt like something that was needed for me and my family, and the the route that I wanted to go. So Prescott was an amazing opportunity. Obviously, went through some a lot of the the tragedy there with the Granite Mountain, but. Um, Prescott was an amazing place to work. I just thoroughly enjoyed working there and uh, taught me a lot. I really kind of grew there as a leader. Um, learned some hard lessons through time there, I think, that we all kind of learn and go through. But n- no regrets really throughout my entire career. It's been great. And then in 17, I had a chance to come down here to the fire authority. And, again, it's been just an excellent opportunity, and I'm very thankful. And so, so when you came here to AFMA, that was right as AFMA was forming, right? Really, yeah. really now. I mean, getting to be a, a bigger organization. Yeah, so they had formed to be North County. As a matter of fact, some other folks, Chief Nixon had come up to taking some of my classes when he was a Sun City West. I used to teach at Yavapai College and some of the uh, leadership series classes for the state. And Chief Nixon had come up, and I watched him say, yeah, we're Sun City West. We're going to become North County. And I said, wow, that's pretty amazing, especially knowing the history of the Valley and, and the Sun Cities and those types of things. So next thing, sure enough, he comes back to another class, and he has a North County shirt on. And so I started watching the progress, and I said, I gave him congratulations for the work they had done. And then I got a call, just uh, saw an opening for a fire marshal position within the authority and had talked to some folks here and said, you know, it's a great opportunity to go back. And the Valley has a lot of opportunity long term. And I talked to the wife and the family, and I've moved my kids and my family down here in 17. Awesome. So what are some, been in the fire service a long time, what are some positive things that you've seen change either on the fire service side, you know, suppression side or within EMS? Because I know you were a medic for a long time also. Yeah, boy, I'll tell you what. I mean, even working through the scene, all the technology on the EMS side of the house with the life packs. And I was just at Phoenix Fire Department recently and they had an old life pack five sitting there on display. So kind of goes back to some of our emergency 51 so days, matt right? yeah matt, matt i think was <laughs> laughing at uh uh 
Chief Cohen and I last week, we were talking about the ability to actually zap somebody with paddles versus using hands-free and then yeah. what the change of the 11s being able to then pace and, um, and uh, or I'm sorry, the, the 10s, uh, but then with the 11s being able to do 12 leads, right, like that, those are all pretty significant changes in how we do business. Yeah, and just even the 12-lead telemetry that we used to do, I mean, I remember I met a medic that, that did the MCL1 and I thought that was just crazy. I was an EMT for about 10 years before I became a medic, so that was good. I really... Uh, paid a lot of attention to becoming a good EMT first. So, yeah, it was just the technology has been amazing. And then I want to, I probably think too, the technology obviously with our air packs, as you probably know, some of the air pack technology that we've gone through and we'd seen, and then all the cancer stuff and the cancer initiatives and where we've gone health, mental health wise, protecting our membership, not only from cardiac, from cancer, and now looking into the mental health side of our careers. I, that's probably other than the technological advances and the fire trucks getting that much better and more improved, uh, I think the advances we've done to help self-protection for each other has been big. Yeah, the, the awareness, I think, when you and I both came on, um, and, I, and I talked about it before, I think, in an interview with Chief McCoy, right? He has yeah. over 30 years now. Um, we talked about, you know, he was a new flashover training instructor when the, you know, when they first came out. And we used to use it as a badge of courage, right? We'd have stuff all, you know, we'd have our helmets would be black with soot and our turnouts. And we thought that was really cool. You fast forward now, you know, just about 25 years or so. And now we're looking at it thinking, man, you know, we were exposing ourselves to all that really bad stuff. And we just never really knew that before. Yeah, I often share uh, you you wanted tar drips on your turnouts. That was pretty cool, right? To come out, you knew you were in some heat. And then we would often just dip our dirty hands with a big can with a big cup. Remember at, on rehab when you got out for a drink of water, you just passed the cup around. Yep, yep. <laughs> I mean, just even the water bottles alone. You know, to think that we were going to have individual water bottles, you just didn't envision that. Yeah. Back in the late 80s, early 90s. Absolutely. Same thing like you talked about. So the cancer prevention piece, but then also with mental health. Yeah. You know, you look back in the day and um, it was just one of those things. It didn't matter how horrific of a scene you went on, whether it was medical fire or whatever the issue was. Um, you just had to suck it up and you just moved on. And, and I think now we're finally seeing for a lot of us, you know, the detrimental effects of just seeing that really bad um, scene, you know, over and over again. Yeah. I often call it the slideshow that we have. And um our slideshow, Chris, could cover this wall in this room very easily, but I think we've given people better tools to deal with that. And in, in return, me personally, even, I've gotten better tools to deal with it. So very thankful for those folks and the peer support programs and learning more about those and that we're much more proactive in that realm. I'm glad that we don't have the slideshow up because I probably would show all the mistakes that I made like <laughs> numerous times. Yeah. So that, that's all in the past, though. That's uh, hey, without good mistakes, we wouldn't learn. So that is true. Man. You know, we were talking, and uh, um, I can't remember who I was interviewing, but we were talking about the the Dr. Crandall training, right? And I think he said something. One of the the few, and there were a lot of them, but very significant things to me is you know when you're successful with something, all that does is reinforce that you did the right behavior. When you're unsuccessful, there's usually a lesson learned yeah. of how you can become successful in the future. Absolutely. I mean, probably with some of the general mistakes I've made a, a great deal of them. I had, I've been in a truck when we hit a bay door before going down. I've, you know, not done a 360 around my vehicle um, when I could, when I should have, and maybe taken a piece of equipment out that I shouldn't have taken out. And with those comes reinforcing that hopefully I can keep people from making some of those other silly mistakes, but also know that we're all human and that we all have kind of been there a little bit before and understanding that those things happen and hopefully avoiding the catastrophic stuff that 
are game changers in people's careers is what we want to help do. I think they call that experience. At <laughs> yeah. least that's what I'm going to say, right? No assault. I didn't get this gray for nothing, right? <laughs> the only reason I can't see it so much in my hair is I have a bunch of hair product. And if my hair was dry like yours, it would look equally as gray, unfortunately. No, that's great. <laughs> hey, keep it while you got it, buddy. Yeah, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold on to it as, as long as I can. No hair plugs or anything like yeah. that. But yeah, I'm going to keep it as long as I can. Absolutely. No, you're doing good, man. So anything else that, you know, you think about it, like I said, long, long career, um, what are some changes, other changes that you've seen? Um, I think, you know, we've kind of gone back and forth on education a little bit about requiring education and not quite as stringent about education. But the one thing I, when I always coach and mentor people is I always want to let them know, continue to go work on that education piece. And I think that that's a change that we've seen the benefits to the education. The law enforcement's always kind of been a little bit more ahead of the fire side of the house. And I think the education piece is a big deal. Also, the safety standards just in our firehouses alone are, are a big, you know, when I, I haven't lived in a firehouse yet that's been as technologically advanced as some of our newer ones, even here at Fire Station 232 in Sun Lakes, just seeing the changes we've made and um, how much more private it is because we realize sometimes arrest, work rest uh, intervals are important. So just the, the dormitory setups alone are, are unique. So all just good things I continue to look forward to. I'm going to probably work another five to seven years, and I'm looking forward to see what we can do in those next five to seven years and just keep bringing positive changes to the organization, the fire service. Yeah, it's going to be really amazing. I think with the merger and, you know, as we're heading down the path, we're learning as we go along. I'm definitely going to, I think, at least I, I hope, and I, I we'll probably both be part of it, we really need to capture what this process looks like so yeah. that we have a playbook, if you will, right? There's, you think about it, there's task books for everything. Yeah. Thing that we do, we probably need to develop a merger task book. So the next agency that, you know, is looking to come into AFMA, we can, you know, not have to go back and, and revisit it or, or recreate it. We'll at least have a playbook to follow. Yeah, I love it. You know, when when that's a great idea because uh, looking uh, now being here part of a few of the different mergers and just watching, we we're getting much better at it. And I think we're getting much more comfortable too about being out there for some of these organizations that might be looking for an alternative to maintain a really professional organization with great membership. And we, we provide excellent benefits to our members and we provide great service, you know, being part of that auto aid system, a couple of our areas that aren't quite in the auto aid system, bringing them up to where we want to, to bring them to industry standard. It's going to be really exciting for us. And I look forward to kind of working there with you and the other leadership within the Arizona Fire Medical Authority and seeing what we can do. Yeah, I think it's going to be a, a really, really great process. You touched on education a minute ago. Um, so both of us are similar, EFO, CFO. I would absolutely agree with you. I don't think the formal education piece is mandatory to do any of our roles within the fire service. Right. I do think, though, and, and tell me if you agree with this, the um, contacts that you make, especially like in the EFO, the Executive Fire Officer yeah. Program back at, the, back at the National Fire Academy, the contacts you make of somebody else in another agency, you can just call up and say, hey, I'm dealing with this. Have you dealt with it? Did you? Was that kind of your experience with that? Absolutely. As a matter of fact, you and I had a previous experience when we were with our different organizations. You were at the city of Glendale and I was with Prescott and we had had a meal with another person from another organization. And it's it's unique that we're here now working together, isn't it? Kind yeah. of interesting. Um, 
But we, at that point, we had talked about labor management relations and we're kind of helping that person through some of the struggles that he was going through. So I don't know if you remember that interaction. I, I do. Yeah. That, that's my, uh, my brother from Michigan. Yeah. Who, uh, he's since retired, but, uh, <laughs> after we had that meal, uh, a few of the labor guys that I worked with in Glendale happened to be in for the ledge con at the time. And we went into DC and had beers with them and, and we're driving back, uh, driving back to the national fire Academy. And he said, you know, those guys weren't too bad. And I said, yeah, that's what I've been trying to tell you, right? Unfortunately, his labor management process was more yeah. like the, you know, United Auto Workers where he told me that, you know, there was at least one to two grievances filed against the fire chief every single week. And so wow. just a completely different yeah. perspective. But I, I do miss, I miss those types of conversations because I'm sure it was the same for you, whether you're at lunch or dinner with your, with your cohort, you know, with, with your classmates. They'd be talking about a problem, and you're like, ah, different name, but yeah. same exact situation yeah. that you were in, without a doubt. Yeah, so the EFO is just an absolute gift. I will recommend any young fire officer, chief officer, or mid-career chief officer, go get an opportunity to go there and, and get that experience at NFA. Every fire service person, whatever the level needs to have, at least one visit to the National Fire Academy. Yeah, I agree. If nothing else, just uh, the, for the reverence of seeing the the memorial there. Uh, I I didn't have a chance any of the times that I went back to actually be there when they when they did that. Yeah. I've been to Colorado Springs, but I'm, I'm sure the effect, you know, at the NFA is just a little bit different than it probably is at Colorado Springs. Yeah, I was able to um, escort the Pichera family this year, and that was amazing. I've never been an escort before at their memorial, and when I pulled his name, it literally, you know, it just really gotcha. impacted yeah. me. And to meet Donna and Tyler and Stacy and his sister, and to be able to spend that time with them, that was definitely special. So special for an icon like Chief Pichera, you know, yeah. just kind of did everything that you could do in the in the fire service world. Absolutely. Amazing person. And uh, he's been a coach and mentor to us all. I've been literally on wildland fires talking to him in air attack while I was making way to to an area that he was wanting us to, to go and work on. And then we crossed over in the state training committee and other areas of the fire service. So he's, it, it was such an honor to do so. And uh, something I'll never forget for sure. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, the last question that I ask everybody that I interview. Yeah. Tell us one unique or interesting thing about yourself that people that you work with would, would not know. So it was interesting. Uh, when we talked about this, I kind of opened up a little bit. So when I was a young guy, when I was about four, I noticed I had a speech impediment and a pretty bad stutter. So worked my way all the way through. It even got to the point in high school I couldn't even answer the telephone. Wow. It was so difficult for me to... Uh, for the teacher to call my name and cause my last name being Creever is very unique. They, they, with the they, they, never, like they never butchered <laughs> yeah. it. Right. Yeah. It's kind of like Dick Chan. I have to tell everybody <laughs> yeah. you ever see Joe dirt. Yeah. Said, don't, don't fancy it up on son. <laughs> yeah. Just the way it sounds. Just like right? it sounds. Yeah. yeah. Well, mine isn't anything like it spelled or sounds. So my German teacher is the only one that ever got it right. But those little situations when I knew I was going to have to speak even into the fire Academy. So, um, the speech impediment was difficult, even to a point I couldn't call and order food on a telephone. It was hard for me. So early on in my fire service career, I didn't want it to stop me because the radio was one of those fear factors, the key of radio. So I went and got a speech pathologist on my own later on. I had a speech pathologist in junior high and, um, junior high and late grade school. And it helped a little bit with some techniques, but not enough to where it was something that I was able to work through. So the speech pathologist gave me a lot of techniques, kept practicing, 
And to even do something like work, like become a public information officer or uh, the state training committee to do an introduction at opening ceremonies. Uh, those are things that for me, it felt like I overcame something that was pretty difficult. Um, even to a point, cause uh, sometimes speech impediments will go through a family. So my son was working through his own challenges uh, and he's much better about it than I was. Cause it was something that impacted me that I want to work through. But there's always something out there that I think the message in that, too, is that no matter what you're working through, there's always something personally that we're all working through. Just stick to it and uh, you will overcome it and uh, just acknowledge it. And, you know, but it's definitely something unique that that I kind of pushed through. That, that's incredible, man. When you, yeah. you think about, you know, not just dealing with a speech impediment, but then to move on. And, and I've been to state fire school. Right. So yeah. I've seen you MC. I've seen you, you know, read, you know, just do certain introductions, but then the PIO function above that, you know, when you look at public speaking, I think that's the number one fear that most people have yeah, anyways, yeah. but then put you in front of seven cameras, right. That yeah. are, that are recording or, you know, doing a, a live, uh, you know, telecast. That's a whole nother level, even beyond public speaking when you're in front of an audience. So great job. I mean, it, that, that's really a, an amazing accomplishment. I appreciate it. It's still in there. You just kind of find words to work yourself around to make sure you can provide a clear message. So if anybody ever needs anything out there and we all got stuff to tackle to overcome, uh, there's a story for folks to kind of listen to and grab onto a little bit. That's great. Anything else that you want to cover before we wrap up today? No, I just want to say great job with the podcast, Chief to Chant. Um, and I'm going to call you Chris at the end here, but I just appreciate all your work that you're doing, getting the message out, letting people learn about us as an organization and our members and our staff. And uh, it's great to be here. I'm really excited about our future, no doubt. Yeah, well, thank you. We're up to, like I was talking earlier, we're up to 50 subscribers now. So right. that YouTube Platinum uh, Award, I think, is in the mail. It's going to come do we need like day. 60? Yeah, <laughs> maybe like 60,000 would probably get us get us there. But yeah, slowly we'll, we'll keep working on it. No doubt. Uh, you hit the nail on the head. We just really want to try to do introductions of everybody and then hit different areas of the organization so that we can uh, really learn about things that are going on in the organization. We've already done, uh, you know, a few. We, we did uh, do the peer support group, um, interviewed both Matt and, and David on that. Awesome. Um, we are doing a, a, actually a couple of podcasts on the cancer prevention grant um, to talk about it, not only from the technical aspects of what the grant is and how not only our members, but then members from those other districts can get involved. But then we're actually going to have Dr. Shukla here um, as well as uh, we're going to bring Chief McCoy. And it was actually his brainchild. He's the one that brought it forward about, you know, looking at the AFG grant and applying for it. So it, it should be really good in the future. Great. Uh, our future is bright. Uh, looking forward to the Buckeye Valley merger and what's next. So thank you for having me and I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you, man. I appreciate you it. Thanks for joining us today again on AFMA 360. Be safe and I hope you have a great day. Hey.